just read a few verses really quickly. Revelation chapter 2. And I'm, uh, our ministry has been for about 20 years plus now is a ministry to, the, to families. And God has allowed us to travel for about three and a half years full time speaking about families. And, and, and this is what's so very important. Uh, I was asked at a camp one time that, well, really it's been several times, and I've always given the same answer. I guess many times people, they'll ask me, because we've done so many camps, what could we do differently? How could we change the camp? How can we make it better? And my answer has always been bring the parents. Um, you know, the truth is I know that's not possible in all situations, but really that's what they, the parents need to see, the, see what the kids are hearing, and see and hear what they're hearing, and, and, and that's why I beg you to have a heart for them and, and, and just give them great attention when they come home. But Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. And here's a key that in this portion, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. And he says, or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now, if you look at chapter 3, I'm going to read a little small portion on this one also. Chapter 3, verse 1, says, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. And that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Father, I ask you to bless these few minutes that we have, Lord. I ask you for strength of body right now. I've uh, been a little under the weather for a while. Lord, I ask you, please... Also, that you would uh, give me clarity of mind and strength of body, dear Jesus. Father, I ask you that you would guide my thoughts and spirit of God as I yield to thee. I ask you, please, please use me tonight. Lord, let me be a help, a blessing to someone, an encouragement to someone. Lord, let me hurt no one. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'd put your arms around us as a mighty hedge of protection to us and turn back every evil that would try to interfere what we do tonight and what we do over the next couple of days. Lord, I yield myself to thee in the spirit of God. I pray that you'd guide me and direct me, please. In Jesus' name, amen. And am I on okay? Or do I need to switch it on? Maybe I didn't switch it on, John. There we go. Good. All right. Okay. Oh, that makes a difference, doesn't it? All right. The it, these passages, I'm gonna I'm really concentrate on it toward the end of the message, and I'm gonna give you uh, just some thoughts, uh, a little bit about the family. And the last point is point number seven in this, and and don't worry about that because I'll go through these points really quickly. 
But uh, I've had people over the years uh, that ask us, uh, you know, my wife and I met in a state college. I had played a little football back at a uh, university called University of Memphis now, but I, and, uh, and I was lost. I was on my way to hell and at 20 years of age, a couple of my buddies had died and, uh, that were football players. And, and, and one night in my dorm room, somebody had given me a, a Gideon's Bible, a little small New Testament walking across the campus one day and and I took it and I laid it on the back of my bed. I'd never read, read the Bible before. And, and uh, so I, I, I went to, it was probably several months. And then one day I was walking across campus and a guy named, he was a former player from Memphis and, and then went into pros. His name was John Bramlett. And uh, uh, he, they called him the raging bull. And he, he uh, John Bramlett, uh, I was walking across campus, had my freshman football letter jacket on and he wheeled around and uh, he was in a suit and tie. I had no idea what he was doing. Now I know he was preaching on the campus, but but uh, he had gotten saved uh, late in the latter part of his uh, pro career, I think. But, but uh, I was walking behind him as he was yelling. And, and, uh, and I, as a, he wheeled around and grabbed me by my jacket and pulled me up to him and just kind of curled me up. He was a huge man. And I weighed 200 pounds, bench pressed 300 pounds. I thought I was bad. And he pulled me up and he curled me up and he looked me eyeball to eyeball. And my feet were dangling. And he said, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? And you know what I said? Do you mean now? <laughs> uh, I thought, man, this man's crazy, you know. Uh, and so he never witnessed to me. He just turned me loose and, uh, and tossed me away, really. And I walked away. But that began to haunt me. And so one night, about 10 o'clock at night in my dorm room, I was getting ready to go out again. And I, instead, I stopped there and, and knelt down beside my bed with that little Gideon's Bible and tried to, to read it and didn't understand it, but then found in the very back of it what we would call the Romans Road. And that night, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. So... It, about a year, a year and a half after that, I met my wife-to-be. And, you know, from our background, there's no reason that we should have a family serving God now. There's no human reason. And people ask me, how did it turn out for you? How did this happen for you? How, how does it, you know, we were all together at Christmas this year. We had, we had uh, of course, the six girls, their six husbands, and, and uh, 26 grandchildren all at our house for Christmas. Amen? I need somebody who's in construction to come help me put it back together, but... But it, 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 was, it was a great time. And, and truth is, it's amazing to sit around at a table with, with your six sons-in-law who are all preachers. It's, and, and you don't have to marry a preacher. I told my, my, everybody would come to me and they say, did you tell your daughters to marry a preacher? And I said, no way. I would have told them to marry somebody who made money. And so, but the fact is, is that people say, how did this happen? And I say, number one, the grace of God. Because there's, there's no perfection in child rearing or anything like that. But I'll tell them there's some thoughts that I have, some things that I think will help. Number one is this. Uh, one thing that I helped us along the way is we were learning and growing and didn't know what we were doing. And, and the thing that you learn about having children when you first have children, the greatest truth that you learn is that you've never had them before. 
You don't have a clue what you're doing, and so uh, you're learning as you go along. But number one is never stop believing in each other. Never stop believing in your kids, especially in the struggles. Just don't give up. And don't give up on them. Number two, uh, I just put it down as love covers. You know, I believe that if you truly show love to each other, I believe through every adverse situation, every difficult situation, if they know you love them, they know that no matter what happens to them, what they go through, that your love is not going to change for them. I think it, it, it does something incredible, but I'll tell you this, it also, when when you love them that way, they reciprocate. We had a, uh, my girls as they were growing up, uh, we when I think my oldest was probably 12, the next one was 11 and the next one was nine, maybe, something like that. I tell you the rest of them, but I don't have a clue. And then the, uh, and so uh, they were there. And I was downstairs. There's a little bitty house that we had, and, and I was studying. And, and, uh, and I was just, all of a sudden, man, I heard it sound like World War III going on up there. And you know girls don't fight. But the, uh, and so I ran upstairs to see what was going on there. When I got up there, all three of those oldest ones, they were tangled up like a spider web, man. They were all on the floor and screaming and hollering and hair and this. And, and I just, it being the, you know, the calm, cool, collected kind of dad that I am, because I do everything right, you know. Uh, I, I ran up there and I just started peeling them apart and I whipped off my belt and just Lamb. You know, I did everything you're not supposed to do. You know, never discipline and anger. I wasn't angry. <laughs> and so... And so I just, you know, grab one, flam, you know, put her on the couch. Grab the next one, flam, put her on the couch. Grab the next one, flam, put her on the couch. Now I'm cool enough to say what happened. So they're all sitting on the couch, and I walked over, and, and I looked at Heather, and I said, Heather, what in the world's going on? And Heather said, Ashley hit me. I said, Ashley, what are you doing? And she said, Heather hit me. I went to Brooke and I said, Brooke, she's our oldest. I said, Brooke, what in the world are you doing? And she said, Daddy, I got here just before you did. I was trying to break them up. <laughs> and I, I fell on my knees in front of her and I started crying. Because Daddy had been an idiot one more time. And I said, I'm so sorry, baby. And I held the belt belt up to her, and I said, "You whipped me." Thank God she didn't. But the, uh, but what she did do is, I was on my knees right there. She slipped out of her seat. She wrapped her arms around my neck, and she said, "Daddy, I love you. It's okay, because love covers. Love covers, and they will." Live out what they've seen you live toward them. Number three, be real, but be really trying to be what Christ would have you to be. A lot of people say, well, I'm just real. No, you need to be really trying to be what Christ would have you to be. But, you know, the truth is we really are all failures, and we need to admit it when we fail. I had to admit to my daughter, I failed you. I, you know, I've seen way too many, worked with lots and lots of college students, but I've seen way too many that just, they were angry at their parents because their parents acted in front of everybody else like they were perfect. And the kids knew they weren't. My kids knew we weren't perfect. 
I would tell them, I would say, they would say, Daddy, why are you so upset about that? And I would say, because what I see you doing, where I see you acting, I've seen in me my whole life, and I don't want you to hurt and suffer the way I've had to. I want you to mastery. I want you to win over this now. Number four, purpose to find every way that you can uh, to enjoy the Christian life with your children. The years are few and fast. You need to find every way you can to have it. Look, uh, folks, when, when you believe something strongly, you can limit it. To, uh, you know, we got two options, go out and eat, stay in and eat, or play checkers. But we need to, we need to find different ways. I, that's one of the things I've enjoyed when I go to, go to camp with uh, John and Stacy. They get creative with the things. We have fun. They, they have fun at the camps. You know, I think we ought to find a way to have, going, he was talking about being up in Alabama and going on this, uh, this trip. We, we were traveling with our girls one time and we were in a little mini motor home and we came across uh, Northeast Alabama. I don't, I don't know where it is, but, but uh, you, you almost just come around a curve and there's like a mini any uh, Grand Canyon there. I mean, like, a, it's just this canyon and this river running through it, and there's this great big waterfall, and it's incredibly beautiful. Got a big statue of an Indian maiden, Nakalula Falls. Anybody ever heard of Nakalula Falls? It's got the statue of this Indian maiden there, and I think, you know, it was there because she jumped off of it or something. I'm, I don't know, but, uh, you know, it, you know. so I, I was so beautiful, I pulled over to the side, and that's what we did with our girls all the time. We saw some place that they could play and something they could have a good time. And I thought that, that little river, it was shallow, it was rapid. So I thought, we'll go down there and play. And so we got out and we came up and there was a sign that said, do not pass here. So I didn't. I went over here. And, uh, and so uh, we went down there went, and there was a path down there. We went down to the water and, and Joe Beth would take them up the, the river a little bit, about you know 50 yards. And, and she would have them there and she'd turn them loose. And I would, I'd wait down here and they would come flying down the river and I'd catch them and I'd set them up. They'd go running back up there and come down again. We used to have seven, but I missed one of them. She went, there's a little, another little statue. But the, uh, you know, the fact is, is that just have fun with them. Just have fun. Number five, excuse me, I've been battling this cold and stuff that I guess everybody is, but uh, number five, know what you believe. This is very important. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And this is so crucial because I've seen this hurt so many families. Know what you believe and why you believe it, but then stick with those beliefs for life and teach your children what you believe and why you believe it. I've seen so many believe so strongly and then their kids get up to be early teens and it starts to be a conflict or there starts to be issues. And what we do is then we back away and throw away what we believe. What you just told them that it wasn't real all along. It's so vital. Listen, find out what you, figure out what you believe and just decide to believe it. Stay with it. Number six is never give up the fight. Fight for the spiritual life of your family. Fight for your children, your marriage, the sanctity of your home. Too many become weary in well-doing and child-rearing and in marriage building. Just give up. 
I used to say that, you know, the, the old, it's, it's the, the father who just sits at the table while chaos is going on around the table with a piece, with a newspaper in front of it. Now it's an iPad or something in front of it, but it's just, uh, you know, look, I don't want to deal anymore. I don't want to argue anymore. I don't want to, I, I, I told our girls, uh, you know, I look, if, if I have to stop you every day, the rest of your life from going out the door, if you're not dressed right, you're not going out the door. Am I mean? I mean, they'd come to the door and I'd say, it'd be time to go to school. And I'd say, you know, baby, you can't wear that. You better go change dad. But daddy will be late. I look at her. We got seven women in this house. We ain't never been on time. (laughs) But daddy, just this once. Well, if it's okay this once, then what difference does it make? It's okay every time. You just, do you enjoy doing that? No, I don't enjoy doing it. But you still got to do it. Or what you say and what you believe means nothing. But you don't do it harshly. You do it lovingly. And here's number seven. Get involved and stay involved in a life-changing ministry. I'm going to use... One verse here, and it's not going to be in context. I'm just, I want to use these two words. It's Romans 10. It says this. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But then he says this. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I read that one time. And as I read it, it just pricked my heart that this is really the battle that we have with good Christian homes. People that come to church faithfully, parents who have their children in uh, to go to camp, in the youth group, in the Christian school, in Sunday school, in church, even here on Wednesday night. But then those same kids get to be 18 years of age, walk across a platform, get their diploma, and they walk away. Some statistics show up to 90% who after their first year of college never go back to church. And the numbers are just, they're incredible how many and it's incredible how many I've seen, we've seen over these years that, that they, at their first opportunity, you think, how in the world? And I'm going to give you, a, it's such a simple illustration, but I, but I believe this will show us, and I see this, we didn't, it's not, this is not something we decided to do and said this is going to preserve our children This is where the grace of God came in and we look back and realize God did something for us. In 1986, I was asked to take over what was called the the sailor ministry, the military ministry. And when that took place, and I I had no idea how, how much that was going to affect our family forever. But it was a life-changing ministry. 
You see, we'd go up to, to Great Lakes Naval Base. We'd get sailors, and we'd bring them down. My girls were little. That's actually where they learned to sing. They, they made, like, I think, 12 CDs now, but they learned to sing in front of sailor boys on a Saturday night late uh, at a chapel service and, and when they were just little bitty girls. And, and, you know, we would go up, and we'd get these boys, and we'd bring them down, and we'd feed them a big meal. And, you know, there'd be 30 of them or maybe up to 130 of them that we would bring down, and we'd, we'd feed them all. And then we'd take them out, and, you know, maybe during football season, we'd play about half the night on a Saturday night, play football games. And, and, uh, and then we would, uh, I, wherever we were, we in a locker room or on a football field or softball field or basketball court, whatever it was, we would, we would drop them down, and we'd have a chapel service. And and uh, it just those boys were so many of them get saved and many times my girls would sing at those little chapel services for them and 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 they would uh, these boys would get saved so they seen this old rough sailor boy who's lost as he can be and he's seen him now uh, kneeling and, and trusting Christ as his savior and then they see him the next day where so many of them would would follow the Lord and believers baptism and then many of them weeks later maybe show up. Up and maybe even walk the aisle saying they surrendered to, to give their life to God, to preach, to serve God. And, and we were in it long enough that we, there were some 30 some odd that ended up coming back to Bible college. Our girls saw all of that. Can I tell you what they saw? They saw Christianity was real. They saw it was real. Now I'm going to tell you what happens in our spiritual life. These two words, zeal and knowledge. You see, as a as a twenty year old college student at Memphis State University, uh, if y'all anybody lived back in the seventies, is still alive. Okay, in the seventies, uh, you know that's where I was. And, you know, I was I started in seventy three and finished in seventy eight. I had two wonderful senior years, and so, uh, uh, but I. I was there on that campus, and, and uh, right there in the 70s, I mean, I had an afro. I'm not kidding. I don't mean a little tight afro. I had a big afro. I'm talking about the, the type, if somebody didn't like it, I would just kind of shake my head, and they'd go, katoosh, 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 you know? I had a big beard, and, and I'm talking about a big beard. I'm talking about when, you, when I eat, I'd have to lift up my mustache to eat, and if I dropped it too quick, I'd eat that later, and so... Uh, I was drinking at a water fountain one time at, a, at the college campus, and I, I was getting a drink of water, and got this big afro, got this big beer, and drinking some water. And, and, and I turned around, and, and, and I was talking to a guy, and about 30 seconds later, it finally worked its way through and started dripping. And he looked at me and goes, hey, man, you sprung a leak. You know, that's who I was. I'd been, I'd lived in an apartment with my brother for a while during the summer. We were lifeguards at a, at a, at a beach where we got saved and we were, we were there lifeguarding at this big lake and, and we came home one day and everything we had was stolen. Man, somebody broke in our front door in and, and they stole all my clothes. They stole all our stereos. They stole everything that would plug in. They stole everything. I had nothing. My brother moved home and I, I wouldn't go home. I went and I found a guy that let me lay on his floor in his dorm room and, and, and so, I went there. I had no clothes except what I come from the beach with. And that guy gave me a pair. He was from Columbia, Tennessee, and he gave me a pair of bib overalls. So I went to college about half a semester with bib overalls, no shirt, and flip-flops. An afro and a beard. 
That was one good-looking man. And it was that condition, and just to let you know, don't ever shy away from people you think, oh, they wouldn't listen, because that's who I was. I was the guy that everybody walked by and said, don't waste your time talking to him. But somebody gave me a Gideon's Bible, amen. He had enough courage to walk up and hand it to me, and I didn't throw away, stuck it in my little pouch and my, my, my bib overalls. And so I got saved November the 8th, 1975. I didn't jump up and cut my hair or shave my beard. I had nobody with me, nobody to teach me. I didn't know anything, but something had happened to me. Something had taken place. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, the places I'd been going, I, I couldn't even explain it, but I would used to go here and have so much fun. And now I'd walk in the place and I'd be miserable and I would think I'm losing my mind. I was walking across campus one day and a, a guy walked up to me and he, he, he said, hey, Hook, and this is, this is probably months, years later, and he walked up and he said, hey, Hook, what's, what's going on with you? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, something's different about you. And I said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, look, man, you don't cuss anymore. I'd never thought I shouldn't cuss. I never thought, you know, I should not, you know, I'm a Christian now. I, should, I didn't know. But somebody inside that I didn't even know who he was kept saying, you don't need to say that. I felt guilty. I felt dirty. Now, can I tell you who I was? I was zeal and no knowledge. I started getting excited. My wife, we, we end up, I ended up graduating from college and we got married and we found a little, little church that we started growing in and, and we started working with the youth. And the only reason we were working with the youth is because we were the youngest couple in there. We had the only baby in the nursery. It was only about 40 people. We had four or five little teenagers and we were working. We were so excited about it. I was a police officer, and I'd get teenagers, and they, they started giving me all of them, and I would have them back in my squad car, or I'd go pick them up here, there. And the whole time, I didn't even know how to witness, but I would invite them to church. And my sergeant came and got saved, and his wife came and got saved. And, and you know, I had zeal, but I didn't know anything. Zeal and no knowledge. I went to Bible college. Didn't even know the books of the Bible. I just been a police officer. Sunday night, God said go, and Monday morning, I resigned my job, and Thursday night, we packed up and went to a place we'd never seen before. And coming from Tennessee, and if I'd ever seen it before, I wouldn't have gone. But we went. When I went, I, I went with, I didn't know what a sport coat was. They said you had to wear a tie. I didn't have a suit. I went to school with a with a a, a couple of I guess they were suits that a, a guy they were kind of these western cut suits that a guy from our church gave me because we were going to Bible college. I had some old cowboy boots that came to a point and they were so long they curled in the front and and, uh, and if I didn't wear my cowboy boots, my pants came up to about right here. And I just, I wore those high water pants and, and uh, I had no clue. I tied my tie in a knot so big that it would choke a mule because I didn't even know how to tie a tie. And I went to Bible college. 
But I'd go out on the end of the day and guys would say, hey, we're going to go street preaching. I don't know what street preaching is, but let's go. They'd take me out soul winning. I'd never been soul winning before. But let's go. You know what it was? It was zeal, but no knowledge. Just excited about serving God. Excited that I'm not ending up the way everybody else that I knew ended up. Excited that I'm not dead or in jail like so many of my friends. Excited that I'm still married to my wife after three and a half, four years. Excited what God's doing in our life. I didn't know anything. Went to a Bible class and he said, they said uh, turn to the book of Hezekiah. They were kind of making fun and joking. Turn, and I'm, a, I'm the only guy in there. And man, I'm trying my best to find it. If you're not laughing right now, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I tried, but I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't in there. I did not know. But I memorized five verses they called the Romans Road and on March 28, 1982, after going to school in January of 1982, I drove all night back to Tennessee. And on that Sunday night, I won my daddy to Jesus. Got a zeal, but no knowledge. But here's the thing. A lot of youth may remember that. Now, sadly, forgive me, but we have a lot of second and third generation Christians that you, you got saved at a young age and basically you just kind of been coming to church and you don't have those types of memories. But some of you understand what that felt like when you first got saved. Now, what happens is, and it's a good thing, we go to what I call stage two. It's zeal and knowledge. You start to learn. You're coming to church regularly now. I can remember playing softball on a Wednesday night and, and when the Holy Spirit just finally convicted me that we were in church now and that they were having church on Wednesday night. They were having Bible study on Wednesday night and, and I was a captain of the softball team. I was a rover. I was a, a cleanup batter and it was just, I caught the second out of the inning on about probably third or fourth inning and it's probably 10 minutes to seven and, and I caught it and I never stopped running. I just tossed it toward the pitcher's mound and started running off the field and, and the, the, the coach was the, the chief of the police department. He yelled at me and said, Hooker, where are you going? What are you doing? That's only second out. And I said, I got to go to church. And I can still remember him saying, hey, blankety blank, I'm a deacon. Go on Sunday. But I was learning and I was growing. And things were changing in my life. And I started, you know, I, I learned, I learned that my pants ought to come down to my shoes. I mean, lengthwise. I learned how to tie a tie a little bit. I learned the books of the Bible. I was growing. 
Now, here's where our problem is. If we all entered into that phase of zeal and knowledge, I believe that more of our, uh, really a high percentage of our children would stay in church. But here's what happens to us, folks. We had to fight the battle, and we've watched others fight the battle, but here's, here's what happens. We don't stop there, and it's not a progression, it's a digression. But we have no zeal, but knowledge. We come to church every time doors open. We bring a family. We make sure they're in church. We make sure our children go to the camp. We make sure our children go to school, Christian school. We make sure they're in Sunday school. We make sure they're at every activity. We make sure they go to youth conference. We make sure they do all of that. And we come in, and somewhere along the way, if we started working in some area, we're kind of past that now. Kids are older. Careers become real important. And we've sort of let other people that had that zeal take over. So here's what we do. We come to church and we sit. We come faithfully. And we hear the message. But instead of the message being something convicting and, and changing us, we're, we, we realize, wow, I'm growing and I need to do this differently or I need to change it or I need to add this. Instead of it being that, the message is changed from those words uh, that just, just motivate us or, or touch our hearts. Now they become wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah, wah. And, we'll, and sometimes we get real excited and wah, 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 wah. We're not getting anything. We're waiting till this old bald headed guy hits whatever time it is so we can be done, so we can pack up, so we can go home, so that we've done our job. And somehow, magically, our kids are going to be okay. Now, what has happened, folks, and let me just tell you this little illustration. I'm about done. But what happens is the kids see in us that this is really not real. They hear the pastor, whoever, get up and preach. And they know that no matter what he says, we're going to walk out as a family and nothing is going to change. We're going to come in and we're going to go out. The only thing that's going to happen is that we've heard a lecture that was meaningless to us. For a lot of kids, maybe some even sit in this room right now, everything I'm saying is no more than if, if, they, if I got up here 
And I got up and, and tonight said, okay, we're, our lesson tonight is on how to dissect a frog. And most of you out there are thinking, we don't care about that. Don't care about dissecting a frog, but maybe you'll say a couple of things interesting. Maybe you'll say a couple of things humorous, but I don't really care about that. But see, even worse than that, Sunday morning, it's another lecture on how to dissect a frog. And the kids are saying, we just heard this and didn't do anything with it. Now we got to come hear it again and we're not going to do anything with it. And then Sunday night, it's the same thing, how to dissect a frog. To the point that children, when they finally have an opportunity as young adults to make their own decision, they say, Listen, I'm not going to waste my time going someplace listening on how to dissect a frog when I'm never going to dissect a frog, don't care about dissecting a frog. I think it's a waste of time, so why even bother go sitting listening to it? Because we're not doing anything with it. I believe it's the number one reason we're, well, it's a tie with another one that I'm not preaching about tonight, but it's really a tie with another while we're losing our children. Because somewhere along the way, church became a place to be rather than a place to be involved, to serve, to make a difference. To see lives changed. If you're involved in something where your children see people get saved, and not only see them get saved, but see them grow, then they know this is real. If they're not involved in anything like that, how do they know that this even works? That it's real? They don't. And by our life and our testimony, as the preacher said a little bit ago, by our life and our testimony, what we're saying is it's not. Because we as the parents aren't doing anything with it. You know, I challenge you, there ought to be something, parents, grandparents, that when you leave out of a service, that you maybe say to your kids, is there anything that God spoke to your heart about? Something we need to do differently. Something we need to change. If even right now, you say, well, I think it's too late. No, it's never too late. To get involved somehow, some way, making a difference in someone's life. I said it wasn't our decision, it was the grace of God. But by the grace of God, He gave us a ministry where the entire family worked together in it. And they got to see lives transformed.
And they did it every weekend, usually about 50 weeks a year. We usually took about two weeks off for some vacation. But I believe today it's one of the major reasons that our girls still believe that God is real. And he's really involved in our lives. And if they don't learn it, they'll go to our children, forgive me, but our children will end up in stage four. It's no zeal, no knowledge. You say, well, that's not possible because they sit in every service. I went to a, a Christian school that ran about 300, and I went to the sophomore class, and I was speaking to just the sophomore classes, 30, 40 kids, I can't really remember. I asked how many of them had been in that school from kindergarten all the way through, and about two-thirds of them had been in kin kindergarten all the way through to 10th grade. And I, I gave them a little short quiz on, preacher, the books of the Bible. And here's the question. Are they New Testament or Old Testament? And many of them did not know. You say, how's that possible in Christian school? And here's what they say. Well, they weren't taught. Yes, they were. You know what they were hearing? Wah, 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 wah. And they stared and they wrote things down every once in a while. They came to church, they came to Sunday school, they came to youth group. But it wasn't important enough, it wasn't real enough to try to get it here or here. Because what they saw around them it wasn't real. If it was real, we would live differently. If it was real, we would go harder. If it was real, we'd get involved and help. You know, I got a family in our church. They, they out of about, I don't know, four or five generations in the, in the church. And I think a big part of the reason is they're all faithful because their 81-year-old mama, grandmother, great-grandmother. You know what? She's been on the bus route for 40 years. Bringing kids in on the bus route for 40 years. Goes to one of the roughest areas of Memphis for 40 years. In order kids and grandkids and all the people at the church... Bless God, something must be real. And the lives she's affecting, it's real. They get to know zeal and no knowledge. They're harder to win than people like me that knew nothing in the beginning. Because they've heard and they've seen. It wasn't real. And one day, somebody like me when I was 20 years old, I was going to have to get saved. 
know nothing but have some zeal and end up knocking on their door and trying to tell them about Jesus. And they're going to look at me like a man did on the street corner at about 3 o'clock in the morning when I was out sowing in one night. And he looked at me and said, don't talk to me about church. He said, I went to church and got that some Sunday school pen for 26 consecutive years. He said, it's not real. And my heart broke because I thought, who taught him by their life he wasn't real? Father, I pray that you bless here tonight, dear God. I, I didn't mean to 